Oh yeah, I know all your Christmas meals are done. Or Hanukkah meals too, that was there first. Hey, what's up everybody? It's Flobo Boys, and this is Commander's Log, the unofficial Star Trek Discovery post show. Do I still say that now as we head towards the end of the season? How many Commander's Log will there be? But as I on the USS post show, the cheapest number one possible. We're going over the Sukal episode of Star Trek Discovery, also known as the Citadel, which really ticks me off because I had a Green Lantern reference ready to go because, oh, I had the Citadel there, but I am not alone. I'm being joined by, quote, a man who's really Bajoran, but a human when he's on planet Earth, my anticipated input, <laughs> Captain John Lever. <laughs> oh, that's so kind of you. Flomo, number one, you're the best damn first officer in the fleet. Don't you forget it. Well, thank you, sir. How's it going? How's your holiday? Did you uh, eat the things? Did you drink the things? Uh, you know, uh, we did a holiday ham this year, and hams enjoy ham. So did you like eat it really loud? <laughs> I'm having ham now. <laughs> Chewing the scenery. <laughs> my my uh my my 2021 promise to myself is I'm gonna do more food prep and more cooking. And so at one point my mother-in-law was like, I can't cut this ham. And I was like, I'll do it. I never do that. I never volunteer to be like the guy at the carvery. I'm like, I'll do it. And so I take it off her hands and I'm cutting ham and it's not easy at all. And then she goes and she sits down and I swear she does this. What's keeping that ham? <laughs> That's like an SNL sketch. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, how's it going, Joshua? Joshua, for our friend of the show. Happy Hanukkah. Hope you enjoy the, I don't know, do you do the Chinese food thing? It's a very New York thing. Very New York thing on Christmas Day, Chinese food. Oh, I'm not yeah. sure. Because I know New York City Chinese food is this class of its own. I do right. it myself. Uh, it's right. all good. Yes, epic stuff to this week. We'll get into it. Like I said at the top of the show, this was called The Citadel uh, before the egg went live. Sukal was the episode because we didn't see who or what Sukal is. Before we get down to that nitty gritty, let me ask you, Captain, overall thoughts on this episode. Because the reason why I'm asking you up the top is this. I liked it. A lot of things to pull from it. But it does seem like we're into another part one of another two-parter. And so much yeah. so, some of my friends have told me it was kind of weak. Agree or disagree? Uh, you know, um, here's something not a lot of people would ever agree with me on. And, and that is uh, that a lot of times the setup is a lot of work. And it doesn't quite get you satisfaction until you see the other episode. So, yeah, I could definitely see somebody going, yeah, I don't know, man. A lot of... A lot of weird things happened, and not a lot of satisfaction came out of it. And, of course, that cliffhanger, man. I won't get, get into it quite yet, but that cliffhanger is the kind of thing that gives fanboys the blue cojones. The cojones, I swear I know what, azul. Azules, yeah. <laughs> Azules? Yeah. So, wait, hold on. I can't tell if you're telling about this episode of Star Trek or telling me you love foreplay. Which one is it? Do you like the fact that it had a cliffhanger or the fact that it was all set up to that cliffhanger? Well, here's the thing. I, you know, I'm going to tease the final episode of this season of Commander's Log. My wife is going to be joining me in Flobo. Oh, no. And I'll tell you right now. <laughs> that was I'm not this clip. Don't do that. I just talk about foreplay. I feel terrible. 
might, no, she won't see this clip. Um, but yeah, she's, she's got one of the coolest sense of humor you could imagine. Um, I, you know, the she is not buying everything a hundred percent the way I do. I'm like right. a dog who sees you come home. Hey, hooray, hooray, hooray! Right. She's the she's the cat who goes. Wait a minute. Right. Why are you coming home now? Why didn't you come home sooner? Where's our food? Like yeah. she, she gets a little, and and so I understand that getting a little more like picky and a little more like I'm not buying everything right out of the gate here. And me, I can be bought with the little things, and there's so many little things. There's so many details, yeah. you know. The devil's in the details, but the angels are too. And uh, I really, I dug it. Long, long answer, cut down to short answer. I dug this episode. I'm not 100% in agreement with everything we might be seeing. Yeah. However, it's not unusual to see these things in Star Trek. We can. I, I'll reveal a little more as we go. But, um, yeah, just in an overall, look, this is Empire Strikes Back for me. And I know mm. a lot of Star Trek people don't like to mix their Star Wars and their Star Trek. But when Empire came out, my friends hated it. And I felt a little bit of that frustration, too. I knew what they were talking about. But then when you see the third one, and you've got the first and the second and the third one, then you realize how great the second one was. So I hope we'll get to the point where people will remember uh, this part one and part two as one big story. Right. That led into the final story of the year, because if you watched Ready Room, which, again, I watch every week, uh, practically. <laughs> uh, oh, so much great information from it. I'll also be peppering that in tonight. But Excellent. but yeah, I mean, it, it was um, they are setting up for a big finish in the next two. Actually, this one, too. So the, the final three of season three. Huge, huge yeah. storyline, um, huge, and and definitely the mold breaker for Discovery. Oh, I agree. And I'm actually liking the season a lot more than season two, but shout out to Jake Giles, man. Take 18, 12, our chief engineer, working hard <laughs> on the USS Pro show. I mean, it's a bucket, but it runs because of you. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Journey. Heart and soul I, I, of this ship. He He's the uh, Tommy Dreamer of this ship. U.S. <laughs> So, I, look, I, I can go with storylines, storylines, but just because this episode was structured this way, we got to go at the head of the stake and go backwards. The right. cliffhanger here. Osiris shows up, and after a very lengthy game of cat and mouse, she actually does end up outwitting Ensign Tilly in the acting yeah. captain's seat. Yeah. And Discovery yeah. has been hijacked. Now, I have a question. I have yeah. lots of questions. Um, people were kind of concerned about Osiris this season. They were saying, oh man, I'm not really intimidated by her look, and she's, I don't understand what kind of person she is. Has she sold it to you? Is she the menace that a big bad is worthy this season? Oh, that's a good question, because we haven't seen, I mean, we've seen her a lot on, like, monitors, uh, and then we saw her kill her nephew, but, uh, <laughs> and you would do it again. That's what great. That's what's so great about you, Jay. Um, you know, uh, we we've only seen just a little bit of her in person, and uh, 
I, I tell you, I dig it, but I dig it because she reminds me of femme fatales that we've had in the past. There was that uh, Romulan woman who was just, I mean, look, I was a young man when I was watching the original Trek, and uh, oh my gosh, she was sexy. She really <laughs> flipped my switches. Oh, yeah. She had that, like, cat suit, that, like, Catwoman cat suit. And um, she she had, like, the belts, the low-slung belts. Oh, dude. The high boots. Oh. So I like Osira. Um, also, you get to see, if you watch um, Ready Room, you get to see an interview with the woman who plays her. And she is great. Yeah. She's so much fun. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, brother. Hot pancakes. So, um, you know... Osira, look, I can understand people comparing her to other big bads, as we like to say in the in the being fans of thing business. We we like to use that phrase. And um I could see people going, well, she's no gold ducat. Look, um, there's a different kind of imi- uh, uh intimidation at work here. Uh there are different people receiving the intimidation. It's not Khan versus Kirk. It's right. not, you know, machismo versus machismo. It's um, this very sort of badass chick thing that Discovery is so great at. Yeah. So she's very much in theme with what we're going on. Now, personally, Flobo, I- I'm actually think- I'm thinking about maybe like going to these fan groups and asking like, what are the good episodes? If you don't like Discovery, then what Ooh. do you like? Because I can understand them a little bit better. I I guess I'm going to try to do that. Oh, well, what I can tell, and this is, I guess, this would be my my new reference every week uh, of how Star Trek fandom is like professional wrestling fandom. It's, Ah. and I I do it too. I try to watch wrestling in totality because I feel like professional wrestling is Shakespearean around. It is our our globe theater, whatever you may feel that way way it is. So I try to watch totality. I have favorites. A lot of my favorites are deep cuts, but I'm willing to appreciate what it is. But there's always this like wrestling tribalism of like this brand, this person, this thing. And I really think Star Trek's that way too. Much like Saturday Night Live. We always think the episodes you watch when we were 19 were the best cast ever. And it always changes. But real quick on Osira though. I, when I first saw her, I was kind of like, oh, is that it, man? Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Because, again, it really felt like she was being a space Karen. She's just, like, calling shots for the sake of calling shots. I didn't know what her killer app was. Was she super strong? She beat people up? Did she do my controls? She just, I mean, it doesn't look very intimidating to me. Right. But what I thought was pretty awesome about it, and we saw it today, was she has that cunningness, right? She, she determined the fact of why Discovery was hanging out in space, just yeah. chilling out because of a planet of lithium and yeah. a spore drive and understanding that Stanley's running the spore drive. Like that to me tells me, okay, this is not the Red Angel. You're not fighting time. This is a whole different time bomb. I'm willing right. to accept this one, go around this time around. Right. Uh, in some ways, we are looking at the other side of the coin from Giorgio. From Philippa Giorgio. You're looking at a woman who is a survivor and a warrior. Uh, in the case of the Emerald Chain, you're talking about pirates and thieves. One of the things I love about and enslavers, they're just as evil as it gets. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I totally dug about this is the history of the Orions uh, being an enslaved people 
And over the 900 years, they become like so, you know, dangerous. The Emerald Chain is gangsters. They're, they're the gangster version of Starfleet. So they're scary, man. I just want to say that the cold take of people who have slaves are evil. <laughs> I appreciate that, John. I appreciate you feel that way. <laughs> Slavery equals evil. Look, I, what, what are the things that we take for granted uh, in society right now is we're like, well, everybody knows slavery is evil. Um, do they, though? you got to remind people how evil it is. Especially in space. Uh, but let's talk about uh, our progressiveness, right? So, Tilly is sitting in yeah. the captain's chair, yep. rubbing that nub. Wait, hold on. The nub in the chair. I, I realized as soon as I said it, that was terrible. I apologize. <laughs> We're a family show. She was the nub, the uh, whatever. Point being. Rubbing that uh, nub. <laughs> don't repeat it. <laughs> All right. See, now I got to see a t-shirt of Tilly. Ooh. In the captain's chair with her hand over on that armrest, and it says rubbing that nub. You know what? Point being, I'm going to ask you how you think she was in the captain's seat. Did she quit herself? Well, things you could learn. Uh, just thoughts about that. But now I don't know anymore. Here's here's a uh, here's a theory that I would like to propose. Actually, a theme, a theme that I would like to propose that we are really seeing in this uh, season more than any other season. This season more than any other season, I think we're seeing the questioning of top command. Mm. We have over and over again, people who are in top command constantly being questioned by some of the people under, almost always by the people over them. Uh, Admiral Vance is no different. I love that scene. Was it last episode or two episodes ago where he's talking to Saru and he says, you know, take it from me. Uh, when I was green, I made a lot of bad decisions. Yeah. And I think that defines Admiral Vance. He is constantly thinking about his bad decisions. Uh, Burnham can almost never stop thinking about her bad decisions. Um, Saru is being told, you might be making bad decisions here. And Saru being um, a very moral uh, uh, being... Um, is like, I don't think so, but I think he's, I think it's catching up with him. It does in this episode. Right. Uh, and he constantly has to be warned, like, are you making this personal? Are you making the best decision you can make? And that's a great thing to have in Starfleet, because as a Trek fan, you're kind of used to, well, Starfleet is mostly right. There are these sort of like Tom Clancy-esque uh, bad rogue admirals or rogue officers but most of the time starfleet's great and they they always do the right thing and uh now we've got a starfleet that's groping their way through the future they don't have the resources they used to have they don't have the the uh confidence they used to have and shaking that confidence is a big part of season three i totally dig it i think they're doing a great job did tilly do a good job not as good as she could have done Excellent. Hot take. The guy who loves this show so much calls a Star Trek yeah. Redheads disagrees. Tell me why. Um, she did not anticipate. She was only reactive. And that's mm. not a command thing. And I know we pretend that I'm a captain, but um pretend. You know, <laughs> one of the one of the things that um people don't quite understand about command is that your 
always going to have a loss. They 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 say it in this with Saru. You know, does he understand that? Um, well, that's actually when uh, Burnham is describing that little bolt that's under the handle that we're calling the nub. And right. uh, when she's describing that, she's saying when all of your choices are bad and you've got to make the least bad choice. Right. I, I used to see Earth Prime or rather, you know, Prime Universe, uh, Giorgio, uh, touch that just to like mindfulness. That was the other thing I love just to be in the moment, just to like understand the moment. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love Tilly, you know, I do my poor family. We're watching the episode together and Burnham tells her about the nub and gets her ready. And then Tilly hugs her and my poor family had to listen to me go Tilly hug. <laughs> that guy. So I'm that guy. Cause I love my Tilly hugs. Every episode has at least one Tilly hug. I freaking love them. Um, I love her. I absolutely love Mary Wiseman. And I think it's very important to this story that she not get it right out of the gate. She's not even, at this point, she's not even as good as Riker. And she shouldn't be. Riker has a lot of years under his belt when we see him. Right. And he's already been a number one on, a, on another ship. So he understands command much better than she does. Also, she's an ensign. She's at the beginning of her journey. I was never, as you know, we've talked about this many times. I was never a person who was like, Oh no, she's too low down on the chain to be a number one. Um, cause we, we all wanted her. Oh, we Tilly fans, we wanted her uh, right out of the gate, but I mean, let's admit it. She's still very low on the command chain. She has not had enough experience yet and she wasn't leading. She, she didn't find a way to outthink. And you've right. all the all the number ones in Trek. Chakotay is a great example from Voyager. These guys have a deep well of mistrust and analysis, and you know you don't take that calm unless you've got a little ruthlessness in you. Until he just doesn't have that yet. Yeah, yeah, and that's something we we talked upon too when she was uh, offered the position, whether or not she. Thought she was just more of a yes person, and but you know, I I was surprised not of the results, but how long it took to get there. Like, yeah. uh, you know, someone. I mean, there's no way she can like outwit one of the most strongest galactic terrorists, and if you did, the show would be broken, right? Exactly. <laughs> You're a fourth exactly. person outwit the most dangerous badass. But I did give Tilly credit because there was like what two scenes where she had uh, Osiris on the ropes, and then yeah. she just you know yeah, we had the resolve to put it back. Uh, Jake Giles also says this Tilly's experience really showed there, and I and I totally agree. Uh, and and it's good storytelling because why would she be so great at this? Her attitude was good, but her actions were not great. Uh, Joshua says the whole show is about being on a journey, a lifelong one. This is classic trick. Well, that, that's very fair, Joshua. No, that's extremely fair. Uh, so, and let's, and let's... yes, it's a journey. It's it's a track. It's a track, yeah. man. We're taking oh, that track. Oh, I get it. So it's an, an internal track as well as an external Six track. Six years later. Oh, by the way. Uh, <laughs> But well, what, honestly, this is the first time I ever thought that. <laughs> oh, well, well, that's why you're the captain, man. You're a genius. But let's talk about why Tilly was the acting captain. Because uh, my man Saru was hitting down the away team because captains on an away team is always a good idea. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, the Save the Kelpian, uh, which has its own the childlike vibes, if you're a Mandalorian fan about that. Although I was kind of, I was kind of interested to see if the child was the actual specimen or the the kelp shotted monster was the specimen. Because before we get to the nitty gritty of that whole storyline, let's walk me through this: the idea of this planet of dilithium, Sukal being the target, and this kid, I guess, hundred year old man child or adult child yeah. living in this simulation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you've had somebody somebody who was raised by holograms, and now we're using the word hollow. I don't know mm -hmm. how often that's been used, uh, but I hear it a lot now. So okay, holographic people are now called hollows. I hope that's not racist. Well, Seems I'm like it to me. Offended. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have to say, when uh, any of the founders Odo's race call us solids. That doesn't bother me. <laughs> that tickles me, actually. That's all I got. I mean, just the idea that you consider this big fat face solid. That's awesome. I can jiggle yeah. like Jello. Um, where were we? Have you practiced this? I don't know. <laughs> Jake uh, brings so all the boys to the yard, you know. Oh, my goodness. You have a huge farm, too. I can imagine someone, the whole line of boys outside for your milkshake. No, Sukal. We're talking about Sukal. Thoughts about right, right. We're talking about Sukal. <laughs> um, yeah, so Sukal is literally 125, three months. Oh, I can't remember the days and the minutes, but he is 125 years old. Uh and he is uh, only raised by, like, child-rearing programs. And here's another thing. So there's this um, rite of passage that he's supposed to go through. It's not, according to Saru, a common rite of passage. It's just something that came up with for him in the programming because mm -hmm. they knew no living person could survive to raise him. Uh, so... He is still a kid. He hasn't gone through the rite of passage. And the rite of passage, that it turns out to be, is there is a story that Kelpians tell their children, and this monster is in the story, and they're supposed to face the monster. And because he's a child, and he has no one really, no adult to hold him by the hand, he has no one to say, you have to face the monster. Until next week. When I'm sure <laughs> until seven days from now on CBS All Access. No. <laughs> I'm sure that'll happen. And I hate that. I hate the yeah. oh, now I know what has to happen in part two uh on that storyline. I hate yeah. knowing that much. True. But here's here's something that's very interesting about that. It's as if I programmed a bunch of computers and virtual reality to raise a child, and in all of that was the story of Little Red Riding Hood. And now there's a big bad wolf. That's what yeah. this monster is to Kelpians. So Saru isn't like, oh, well, I know what he needs to do because this is new to him. He's, he's watching this child in a, in a world that was constructed hastily, I think, for him. And, uh, and it's been breaking down because this is the dilithium planet that they're on is so deadly. That's kind of cool, too. You got a yep. ticking time bomb here. Can Sugal have the propensity to overcome great fear? 
Mm, that's my reference for Green Lantern. Okay, so, like, like I, it, there's no way they could foresee what was happening with this virus, but there are some parallels to pull from this. The fact that now almost everything is virtual. You go to birthday parties virtually, you can take driver's ed courses online, you can do a lot of things online. It does seem the kids uh, can learn themselves. You can have a child and, and try to be hoidier than thou and say, I let my kid use a laptop 20 minutes a day, but then when that kid goes to school, he's totally behind. You kind of have right. to. I, right. I, I totally get that being pulled. But yeah. I guess what, what's tripping me out is, and maybe if I'm being too, like, you know, high school or college sophomore about it, is the shifting nature of our rites of passages, right? Because yes. when my, when my parents are not American, but around the time my parents were born in this country, at mm -hmm. 15, 16, you got a license. And that was your rite of passage. But right. I got my license at 18 and a half because I had to. And I mm -hmm. moved back home after college. Like, what was my rite of passage? So it's kind of interesting to see that in this Kelpian world, where there's no Varahai at all, right? How do you make this person feel like they're of age? And that, to me, was pretty interesting that someone decided to make an actual digital villain. Yes, yes. And that it um, it is responded to by Sukal as mm -hmm. uh, he never wants to see him. Here's something that is kind of extra from my experience. I, this has happened before in this series is uh, my hearing's not great. So I always have the, um, the closed captions on. I do too. And, and one of the reasons why that's great is because you get to see the script or at least the lines, not the descriptions, yeah. but you get to see the dialogue as it was written. I assume it's really close. And I don't know if you noticed, but when the monster is coming for Sukal. What it's saying is, see me. It's really hard to hear. And I've watched it twice now and gone, would I know that he is saying, see me? Right. But that's it. It's like, confront me. Yeah. You know, deal with me. And because Sukal, even though he's 125 years old, and that is old for a Kelpian, we do know that too. Um, he was raised with, you know, child programs. So he grew up with Reader Rabbit and uh, Spy Fox and Freddie Fish. Number Country, and, yeah. And, and they and they raised him, you know, right. not not living beings. So I, I I heard that the the hissing from the the monster, but again, maybe because I was just too cynical for my own good, I was like. Imagine if the child was the program and the actual thing, because of the radiation, right? They didn't know how radiation affects someone. I thought maybe the monster would have been the subject. But now, knowing that, I'm going to have to go check it out again uh, just to see that interpretation of it. But uh, this whole idea, though, of, of having this away team, of, of you know having Culver being Bajoran and yeah. human Saru, I mean, dope! <laughs> and Trill Michael Burnham, uh, I'm tripped out. What's going For on with that? First off, can I just say, um, they do they do talk about that a little bit on the Ready Room, and I I just love this about Culber. I I love Culber so much. Um, his his reaction was, um, "Oh my God, I had to sit in that makeup chair for like two hours," <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is hilarious. But he was like, 
I mean, it's nothing like what everyone else has to go through. And also, I love the earring. I'm digging yeah. the earring. <laughs> oh, my gosh. How, how do you manage, Cobra? Which I think, like, the fact that this season has become, like, the, the Greek chorus of it all. Like, just letting us know, like, he has to do it. He must do this. Because, you know, he literally died and came back. So he has all the wisdom in the world yes. to handle this. I um, love it. He is a superhero among this group. And he makes him, he's Superman. He makes himself the savior as much as he can be. Now, maybe the writers are going to get clever and have that, you know, hurt him in the end. Uh, that that might be something that goes along with such a heroic, uh, uh, you know, forward momentum. But at the same time, it totally makes sense. And you got the big breakdown with him and Stemitz because Stemitz doesn't want to lose him again. Right. And there's Stemitz going, you've got me, you've got Adira, yeah, you've got everyone. <laughs> but right. Stemitz has built this family in his head that he and, and Culber are the parents to Adira and that Adira does need them. She, she, uh, they, they do need guidance. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's very much Stemitz's thing. And it's, it's just, uh, you know, again, this is such a romantic show. Mm-hmm. I, I, I never knew I could feel this way, especially yeah. a, about a male couple. I never knew I could feel this way. I do. They brought it out of me. That's another reason why I love Discovery. I'm always like, man, I, I like the fact that, that Stamets and Culver do have, like, like, well, I can't say natural because Culver did die, right? <laughs> the, most, the most natural romance. But sometimes I forget, like, they also, uh, to their credit, they also put in some of, like, the, the old married couple bickering sessions like to yeah. make sure. I think that gets to, to bolster it. So it is the most real relationship i guess in that way uh it comes down to because it isn't just all like i love you i love you right right. Uh, you annoy me (laughs) yes yes that that relationships are steeped in the ability to annoy the other person or to grate on the other person even when you don't want to even when you're trying so hard not to do it um because conflict is conflict and yeah gene roddenberry didn't want that in the original show but we're different people or a different yeah. society now. We don't need to have, and I'll never, ever let this go. Gene Roddenberry would put an old-timey Western fist fight in almost every episode. I no one wants to see that anymore. Why not? Dun, 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 dun. All right, is that the song? I have no idea. <laughs> You're listening to Commander's Log, the unofficial Star Trek Discovery post show right now live on Facebook, on Twitter, on Twitch, and on YouTube. Uh, it's presented by Geek Renaissance. Hey, Christmas season is over, but you still got the holidays, still got New Year's Eve. You got whenever you can. So hit up Geek Renaissance at Geek Renaissance on Instagram. Make sure you get yourself some nice little keychains or a dope resin chest set at Geek Renaissance. You know, Captain, I got a question for you. And I've written it right here. Michael is concerned about Saru's objectivity on that planet. Makes you wonder if Spock had these conversations on on the original series. Since you are an original series fan, talk to me. Um, I can't think of any offhand. There must have been some question. Um, it, It certainly comes along in Next Generation when Captain Jellico takes over on the Enterprise for a short time, Ronnie Cox from uh, mm-hmm. RoboCop uh, is uh, is Jellico, and Jellico is just one of those. Why in the world would I ever go down to a planet? That, yeah. That's not my job. Number one, you go do that crap. 
I mean, I I love the fact that it it is seen as unusual for the captain to leave his damn post. It should be. And it should be. And in this case, it is extremely emotional that he wants to be there for this Kelpian. Yeah. And, you know, look, he's he's gone a long time without seeing any other Kelpians. I know they keep saying this, but it's not a small matter. Right. Um, I keep thinking about that. You know, how would I be if I hadn't seen another person from Earth in oh. a long, long time? I was thinking Belgian, but yeah, Earth. Earth. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, you're right. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, it's... And it's, it, not to make fun of it, though. Like, okay, so I'm from New York, at, or yeah. Brooklyn specifically, and there are so many west indian americans or west indian people in the well, there's the people in new york period but in, in our community that right. i can hang out in jamaican neighborhoods or guyanese neighborhoods or right. asian neighborhoods no problem but when i come up to los angeles because we're so spread out anyone from that region qualifies now whereas yeah. america, i could be like oh you're from tobago ah whatever but i hear you're like oh snap st lucia you know what i mean and that's just this is so it's the same true. country not a whole planet, not 9,900 years. It's a whole thing. So I can't knock Saru for trying to get a closer look, but yeah. I don't know, man. I, I felt like he was convinced to go. He was like, I should not go because I have emotions. Like, ah, stop <laughs> playing yourself. Leia. Come on down, Saru. Uh, ha have your Barzan moment like uh, Commander Nan did. <laughs> that I mean, and and let's let's face it, it's it's lonely. It's lonely out in space. That's a line from uh, uh, "It's Lonely Out in Space," Rocket Man, uh, by Elton John. Um, it's lonely out there, and you do see the same people, and you want to be, you know, in your family, you know, because a lot of times the way you're raised up, man. I remember meeting a girl out here in L.A. And uh, it was just at work, you know, uh, and she was a customer and there were some some other uh, gals with her in her party. And, um, you know, I was uh, this is back when I was driving for Uber. So I picked these these gals up and they're all going to a party and uh, they make fun of this one girl, Jordan. And Jordan's like, well, yeah, I know. I'm just the stupid girl from New Hampshire. So we're driving along. I'm from New Hampshire. And uh Everything quiets down, and and then I go, Jordan, where are you from in New Hampshire? And she goes, oh, a little town called Portsmouth. I said, you you went to Portsmouth High School, the Clippers. She's like, um, yeah. I'm like, that's where I'm from. I'm <laughs> from Portsmouth. I went to Portsmouth yeah. High School. Now, granted, like 20 years apart, but did you guys was, have a handshake or something? Uh, you know, it was. Uh, I started to talk about it, and then her her friends, her female friends, were like, so. Jordan, blah, 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 blah. Like, yeah, the, yeah. the pull her yeah. out of that as soon as possible. Like, I, I'm a married guy. I wasn't going to do anything, but, yeah. you know. No, I think it's really more of like, how do you give Jordan value? Ugh. <laughs> let's let's go did. back to what we are doing before. <laughs> okay, dude, I have to tell you this part. They were yeah. all going to uh, the Playboy Mansion. They were all hotties. And they had... Um, I, I was really nervous about my seats because they were all airbrushed and topless. Oh, oh, well, if that does not sell me to go to New Hampshire when this pandemic is over, I don't know what will. What was crazy about it was because I am, you know, look, I'm the driver. I'm here to take care of them. So I didn't look. Right. 
I never looked at Of course, at you're, you're professional, of course. I wouldn't I'm look a, either. I'm not, to be funny, not to be funny, well, yes, you also are married. You shouldn't look. You would never look. But like, not to be funny, but it's like, y'all ain't getting me in trouble. I am putting my eyes on the road, bro. Like, I'm not even going <laughs> to... <laughs> Make sure you wear a towel. Not even looking. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to bring up the episode, though, before we get canceled, Please. for sure. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it seems that we had a, a little mini second burn. Isu called the key, John. Okay. All right. I saw a little bit of a spoiler before I watched the episode where somebody uh, said, are you kidding me? We find out the cause of the burn and it's, and that's when I stopped reading. Uh-huh. So here I am going into the episode knowing I might not like the explanation of the burn. Yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you, I do not like the explanation of the burn. I do not like that Dr. Culber has to go, well, I don't know if he grew up surrounded by this stuff in this weird environment. Maybe he has powers like, oh, it's it's as if he said maybe he was bitten by a radioactive Kelpian. I don't know. (laughs) How that's so lame. He has superpowers. But on the other hand, because I do love this show, I will make excuses. And one of the excuses I can make is this. This reminds me of the original Star Trek. Do you remember Charlie? No. They find this young man, Charlie. And it turns out Charlie's got these weird powers where he can sort of bend reality. And then at the end, these aliens that are just like energy creatures come and they're like, time to come home, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Charlie is begging them like, no, 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 you don't understand. They don't touch. They don't feel... The, the, you know, and Charlie is this grown-up child, and uh, he can't handle the powers that they gave him. Um, it, it reminds me of where we are right now with Sukal, that maybe he has these. If he throws a fit, the burn will happen. Just I don't. Want sure, sure, that's a very common trope, especially with younger heroes. You could draw the parallel between that puberty or having powers, not knowing how to apply them, and all that. Uh, Jake Donald yeah. says the episode was named Charlie X. I will check Charlie out X uh, because I am the worst Star Trek fan ever. But Discovery, so ha. Ah! Um, but there is a Thanks, question Jake. though. I, I feel like not so much as bad, or not so much as severe as the last season, but they kind of wrote themselves into a corner. I feel like yeah. there couldn't have been anything technological. There couldn't have been some weird plant you hadn't done. It had to be elements that were dropped from the series as it gone. And you could argue that this season they were kind of like very linear. Like, here is your data drive. Here's the project data. Here is yeah. a triangulated distress call. It had to be something involving the Calpians. I mean, given that, what could they have possibly have done for it to be authentic to you? I'm just curious. Um, You know... There was, in Next Generation, there was a storyline where warping was actually harming space. So all of the ships, no matter whose they were, that were warping around, they were having an environmental impact. Mm, deep. That makes sense. We see that. We live with that. Um, Remember, the I mean, was like, ah, oh, the, the tardigrades or the yeah. mushroom things, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we've got um, what we have uh, in our own reality is, you know, fossil fuels are, are running low. So we understand this whole thing that they were going through, especially in the, you know, in the light of um, uh, Mad Max and the Road Warrior. It's like everyone wants fuel. It's all about the fuel. 
Yeah. Well, that makes sense. We we understand that story. I got a question for you. This is totally off the, off topic. You know, like how there's like this push for electrical vehicles, and yeah. you know, like how you have like an iPhone and it still makes a clicking noise. Do you no. think they'll add in gas engines to make people like me feel okay? <laughs> I hate the fact I can get run over by a Tesla and you can't hear a sound. You're like this ninja purist came out of nowhere and clipped my legs. I just it makes you feel a little weird. That's all. <laughs> he made me snort. Um, that sounds right to me. Yeah. Cool. Let's do it. <laughs> I love planet Earth this much. No. I, I think there is a, um, you know, a, a lot of people like to harp on the idea of uh, force of nature. Thank you, Jay. He's uh, he's been on the show. We should probably think about uh, putting him in the library. Yeah. I think sure. I think he's wasted toilets. Yeah. I mean, we need a new toilet guy. Take your training to Starfleet. You're all switched up. This, this guy should be our librarian. Um, we have a uh, we we have a, a, a place where we are in terms of technology where I'm more comfortable with a hybrid engine because I'm putting gas in my car makes sense to me. So I totally hear what you're saying. I drove a hybrid for many years. When I was driving Uber, I was driving uh, a hybrid. And um, and now I drive all electric, and I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I'm saving the planet, but I hate it. Well, I mean, there's still that, like, look, in order to get electric power, you're still burning a lot of fossil fuels to get there. Right. You know? Well, I feel I better mean, about it, though. What are you well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're not part of the consumption in a direct sense, but there's still some consumption going on, and we still haven't found the clean way to go, just right. like they haven't found in the future a way to get around dilithium. Dilithium is still a big deal, and this planet is pretty much made out of dilithium, and I guess Sukal is a dilithium being now. It, it's it's weird, man. Hey, it's man, radiation. Uh so Jake Giles says promotion to chief science officer. Why not? We don't have one. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you can do whatever you want, bro. <laughs> you, you you got it. Uh, 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 chief comms is my job though. Don't get that one. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> don't go near comms. We we're covered. Number one's covered. got that. Uh, so so yeah, you actually make a good point about the idea of how dilithium has become this thing. It's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. It's been the key. It is very crank too. To say I am the virus, you know what I mean? To have one person be the cause of this, but it yep. is interesting yeah. to see how this power could be so emotionally charged. So now you have like this eventual dichotomy between the Vulcan aspect, the science aspect, the discovery aspect versus raw alien being, sentient being emotion. Which I mean, it'd be good television, especially with Osiris in the mix. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's certainly a context we can all understand in this day and age. And uh, people want that power. If you've got the dilithium, you've got the power. Yeah. So, yes, the, this this conflict is very well constructed. It makes a lot of sense. Um, unfortunately, now that we've got an entire planet of dilithium... <laughs> It's so like, ah, we got to the end of the rainbow. There's a big pot of gold. Oh, no, the green lady took us away from the pot of gold, but it's still there. I mean, it's, you know, again, I'm kind of in a, I still like it, though. Yeah, <laughs> you sound like me in Dexter season seven. Like, hey, it's, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. I'm still aboard. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's all right. 
the one scene, and this is from this is me, the the hack writer that no one reads my books, and you really should at Amazon.com. Put a little boy sell my books. Read his books. Uh, the the one thing that really ticked me off because I know it was just an Act Three filler, um, and I want your opinion on this one because you could probably talk. Oh, well, you're so wrong. You're such a square. Uh, is when Michael pretended to be a program. Well, Michael would pretend to be a program to sit with Sukal to see how he was thinking. And then, of course, there was that long, drawn-out thing. And it was like, no, wait, this program's wrong. I can't stand it. And I was like, wait, we're back at square one with no new information? That, to me, was a giant bait and switch. I thought that was definitely a thing to fill the time. Runtime. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I hate when they're going, well, okay, we're going to do a two-parter. Ugh, I think we need some filler. Um, you know, there's always there. There was a a friend of mine many years ago worked for a producer, and this producer was the kind of guy who would get um, scripts and then basically sell them to like um, uh, Roger Corman. You know, oh, wow. this, this guy, they'll get guy made. Was, <laughs> they'll get made. Uh, but this guy wasn't in in it. You know, in the big powerful sense, he was a very low level kind of a dude. Um, but my friend loved working for him and l learned a lot. He worked for him for one summer. And one of the things that he came up with uh, that this guy used to say, the guy would go through the first 10 pages of a script. And if there was any moment where the guy could be kind to someone and he wasn't, throw the script away. This is... It, it, this came up with the book uh, Save the Cat. Oh, Save the Cat. I got my own feelings <laughs> about that, but continue. <laughs> but it is a simple principle. Show our hero being gentle and being thoughtful and caring and showing empathy. And that's not wasted time when you do that. Because what you're telling the audience is this person is virtuous. This person feels like you. This person has feelings. And it's very important for a story to contain heroes that do that. Not every hero does that. Plenty of stories don't have this. It right. is a bit of a cliche, like Save the Cat, uh, you know, was the whole idea behind this, you know, school of how do you write. But um, it is important to have that moment of kindness and sweetness. So that's how I took that. And yeah. it was a little bit of a mental game, which is very Star Trek. She's like, oh, uh, every time I mention I'm an outsider, this guy starts to freak out. So how can I continue this conversation by fooling him into thinking I'm not an outsider? So there's a little bit of Trek gaming there. I'm not knocking the Trek game. I think it's pretty cool. But the thing is about Save the Cat, let me get my soapbox here. Uh, it's also, in a, in a weird way, this is also the reason why I don't like Batman. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> this is definitely off, off a tangent. I know it's a Star Trek show, but when Street the Cat came out, it was revolutionary. Because it really yeah. distilled, the main thesis is that show compassion, get your characterization, pay 25, we should know all of the stakes, every three pages something should happen. Of course, yeah. it's more detailed than that, there's sequels or spinoffs, but that's just it. But the problem with that roadmap is everyone tried to replicate that. And now we have the post-postmodern Hollywood formula where we go, ugh. Now, movies like Iron Man and Doctor Strange buck that trend, but it's a Marvel film. We're already in the theater based on the merits. It's different. Now, right, right. John Favreau didn't have to, when he wrote that stuff, he didn't have to prove he could write. Everybody knew at that point he could write. Exactly. But my first film can't do that. Iron Man has to save a kid in a, in a tree 
or a cat in the tree or give the kid back to a cat. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, uh, but, but the same thing with Batman. Now, now, Batman is one of the greatest heroes of all time. Yeah. But to me, one the also reason why he can't be any other color but white is that he was a paragon of white privilege. Old money, blue blood. If you didn't know him, you thought his life was perfect, rich right. guy. And, right. and then underneath this darkness of losing his parents, there is this desire for vengeance. But what yeah. happened was in the 70s, there were, or the 80s, Dark Knight Rises? Uh, what, uh, um, uh, yeah. yeah, that was 1985, 86. Right. And what we saw now was everyone just interpreting the bat. So now you have this rich character of the dualism we all struggle with as people with power and to do something, yeah. just yeah. being flattened to being, oh, I'm the knight, I'm the vengeance. So I can't stand half that crap. I, I really don't. But I think yeah. a lot of it's here too. We see a formula, we know it works, and so we keep replicating that formula to the fact it doesn't really come through. And that's my thesis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I will um, let me write the foreword to that, which is to say, uh, Flobo, you've you've got your your hooks in this because what you're objecting to is the um, productization, the commoditization of a story. And right. what people need is they need to be, um, you know, the, the best description I ever heard of a movie actually came from Siskel and Ebert. And they both agreed on it, um, which was there should be characters you care about who live in a world that you want to go to and stay in. True. That's a good story. You get those things going, you've got yourself a good story. And it may be really unconventional, but as long yeah. as you care... And you want you want to be there. You're pretty much set up for success. You hit the nail on the head. And and people are saying, oh, Flo, but you're being so crazy in this. But like, let's look at architecture. This is my last example. My last analogy, now move on, I swear. Like, we talk about like fast food restaurants. Remember when yeah. McDonald's was like Playland and Burger King had a separate vibe? It would look like an actual kingdom and yeah. Roy Rogers looked like a Western thing. And what happened? Right. Chipotle came. Chipotle changed the game, elevated the food quality, and now every new fast food restaurant is this giant gray box. Even McDonald's, looks like it's grown up eating McDonald's yeah. for lunch. It's sad. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not knocking the formula if it works, but we all can't do the formula. Uh, let's go to a quick question, though. Uh, that, that little bit that pulled to me this episode, whether by cloaking device or by design, the Emerald Chain had a Federation Starship signature. Do you think yeah. that was just done for deception? Or do you think there is some hanky-panky behind the scenes between the Federation and the Emerald Chain? That is a fascinating question. My goodness, I never even considered that. Here was my, uh, my initial thought, but I, I think you've got something there. My initial thought was, um, remember that Osiris' nephew was running that planet where Book and uh, all those all those other poor people were uh, enslaved and working at this salvage yard. Um, was it called salvage? Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 the name escapes me now, but I, I'm with you. Um, and so uh, you see, uh, as sort of a like visual tease, you see like buckets of um, Federation badges, useless junk uh just lying around all this federation stuff just lying around because what happens in the burn is um every ship that was using its dilithium blows up right 
now they're not all blowing into a million pieces. Sometimes it's just the engine blowing up and the rest of the ship is out there and can be, you know, salvaged. So I think they have salvaged enough Federation ships that they've used the parts in order to do things like send them a Federation response. We've got this computer that we saved and um, it tells us all the secret codes and secret handshakes. So mm -hmm. send that along. And I think that's how they got really close. Okay. And also, Osira has no, like, qualms about what kind of technology she uses. So they've got some badass stuff. One of the things that freaked me out in this one, and I hate it, I guess in a good way, because I, I always watch these movies, but, like, so tentacles. Yeah, it was wrong tentacles. Oh, I, I can see what's wrong with tentacles. I got you. <laughs> that took me a minute. Like, what's wrong with tentacles? <laughs> Man, why has it got to be tentacles? I'm like Indiana Jones on that. Oh, yeah. why did it have to be tentacles? Well, it makes sense. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. Uh, you ever watch... It's, uh, it spins on a, on a vertical axis. Like, you need something to stop that. Well, I mean, you know, like, they were like, okay, so the last time you attacked us we had a ship that couldn't maneuver very well. So we've solved that. The way we solved that was we got tentacles. Yeah. Badass tentacles. And we might control stamets. If you've ever, if you've ever, yeah, and the, the mind control stamets thing. Oh, that was beautiful. Um, what did they say to him? He was like, I won't help you. And then the guy is going to put like the, uh, yeah. you know, the, the slave collar on his, Yes, what you want is irrelevant, which is so close to resistance. This is futile. I know. I was like, wait a minute. It's like you can't. Was that a trademark issue? Was that Kurtzman's like, oh, we can't use it. Okay, fine. Hey man, I totally dig it. Uh, you know, I never minded when Paul McCartney sounded a little bit like the Beatles. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> you know? Live and let die. You're, you're a spinoff. You're a spinoff. I totally get it. That's fine. Um, that was pretty badass. So, you know, she has, and, you know, she's she's a criminal. So she has no qualms about what kind of overpowered stuff she's going to use. They were basically able to crush the discovery, completely boarded it, took everybody down. Um, I was kind of like assuming that Book and Burnham would get on board and then it would be uh, Die Hard. Oh, that's going to come, certainly. But let's get or Under next Siege. Week. Next, next, oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Next week, it's, a, it's, I guess, a two-part, maybe an official, I'm not sure the name of the conventions of this is, but it looks like it'll yeah. be the second half of what happened this week. Uh, yeah. Thoughts about what's going to go down, what you're going to see? Um, you know, look... Um... I'm. What we can predict is it's a TV show. They're gonna get their ship back. You know, we can predict that. Uh, they're not gonna lose Discovery on Discovery. Uh, we can predict that. Discovery B or Discovery C. <laughs> well, it's possible because yes, one of the things I've always said was the worst thing that you could get as a captain in Starfleet is the Enterprise, because that shit's gonna blow up. Mm -hmm. That shit blows <laughs> up all the time. It right, blows like you know up. what? I'm hitting that tighten up because that was more stable. <laughs> so I think Discovery is going to be okay. I think Discovery is going to come through. But um, but one of the things that's great about uh, this show 
is there's always a price to pay. Someone's going to lose something. And I don't know what it is. I can't predict it at all. We already lost Linus. We haven't seen him in like weeks. Don't tell me that. (laughs) Because I swear I had a moment where I might cry. Oh, he's not dead. He's okay. He went off to the farm. It's all right. Other Linuses and get lost. It's great. It's fine. Oh my God, my my eyes are watering up. Don't tell me that I might lose. Look, I know I love Star Trek redheads, but I do love Star Trek list man. I think we'll get another one and call him Snoopy. Don't even worry about it. Don't worry about it. Oh, it's it's our time, John. We got to get out of here soon. Got to beam off to the next planet. Just you know, final thoughts about what to do, what you're doing, what's going on in life. Thoughts about the episode, the season. Hit me. Give me everything. Uh, you know, um, you and I have had this conversation quite a bit. Uh, it, you know, for for all of the 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 guys who join us on this show and uh, and make comments and help us out, and, and for every guest we've ever had, um, you know what what a tremendous snowball of friendship is rolling down the hill and uh i have been so inspired by working with you flobo i i don't mean to be embarrassing but you are so inspiring you're you're such a a a hustle hard you know you're what john cena says he is (laughs) yes that's exactly what it was hustle (laughs) we can't see you you're you're you're, you you have really inspired me. So um, once uh, Discovery Season 3 is over, we're going to... Um, it'll take me a little while to get up to the speed where you are right now, Flobo, but I do want to produce like you do. And um, and it's going to... 2021 is going to be such a year for us. We're really going to bring the conversation to a wider audience, and, and that's fine because we're going to be talking about all of Trek. So everybody's got access to all of Trek. Um, right now, only us CBS All Access guys have access to this show. And there are people just now watching it on Netflix going, oh, my goodness, this season one is incredible. It is. You're right. But, you know, at some point, we're not going to be so far ahead of everybody else. Yeah. We're going to be right in the stew with everybody. So that I'm looking forward to that. Jake. Yes, man. Yes. Um, we we will get our, our boys together, our boys and girls, because and, and our and our uh, everybody. We will get our everybody together on this because um, this level of conversation is so valuable, so inspiring to me. Um, and it it just ain't going to end. It's going on. Twenty twenty one. That's our year, man. Yeah, definitely. And I guess we'll talk about more of the finer details uh, going on forward. But I think Commander's Law could be the home for the Kurtzman shows and everything else, Deep Space Nine, even the animated stuff you can do on uh, your eventual channel. Get more people involved. You'd be a giant party. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That. And the DJ but- knows. DJ knows how to do a party. Flobo's a DJ. You should hire him. Yeah, please hire me. Please, I'll, I'll work wherever, man. Virtual parties here, bar mitzvahs, huh? Aren't you boy? Uh, John, where can the world find you online, man? If they want to see what you're doing during the week on those social medias. God bless Instagram. I haven't been there in a little while, uh, but it's still great. And I still go back about once or twice a, a week. So if you ever want to hit me up on Instagram at hello, John Weber, there I am. Um, Twitter, loving Twitter. 
Loving my Hello John Weber account on Twitter right now. Not any of my other sixty accounts, eh. but this one is is really paying off, and having we're having a good time there. So uh, be sure to hit me up on Twitter if you get the chance. Uh, which one's your OnlyFans? I don't have an OnlyFans. Um, oh, we're a team no, that I know of. <laughs> I know, right? I just clip pictures out and do myself. <laughs> I, I, always, John no. I put a post-it <laughs> over the camera on, on but if I don't remember to put it on there, somebody might be uh, recording it for an OnlyFans. Boy, are they going to make money. Yeah, that, there you go, brother. Uh, it's about time. I got here, too. It's your boy, Flobo Boys. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, at Flobo Boys, or also at Flobito on Instagram, Flobito.com. It's part of the new Amsterdam Entertainment Network. Learn more at NewAmsterdam.com. But until next time, Captain? Folks, you're a damn good crew. Live long and prosper.